1: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza, just wallowing in this lovely 0-5 start that is the 2019 Cincinnati Bengals season, and commiserating with me as always is co-host John Sheeran. John, uh, I don't know man, how you doing?
2: I'm 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 pretty good I actually had a flu shot this morning they said it'll prevent you from the flu and any other sicknesses you have watching the Bengals this year so I'm good to go for the rest of the season
1: okay well that's uh that is a cure-all there are are you a big uh, do you do you get your flu shot every year
2: yes I'm not I'm not anti-vax for starters but yeah I do get my flu shot every year because it's, it's always it's always it's always the it's always the fall for me that I get this you're, like, stuff, you're not so.
1: anti-vax but
2: you are pro regardless you are pro flu shot right yes okay. because i i will always get sick if i really that. okay yeah. okay yeah i uh
1: i i, I never get it I, sh- I probably should i seem it's to get like one really good. bad cold or bad flu thing every year but i uh yeah i i, I don't know Some about it just weirds me out about it but people swear by them obviously so maybe i should
2: well, so literally, I, was, I was at like the doctor's office and I was going to go to Walgreens to get it. And like they, they what they do is they, they kind of pressure you to get it, like to get it there, I guess, just because they have a bunch of them. I'm like, Oh, you know, just save the trip. Just get it. Like, right, does... yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm like, All right. Whatever.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't know this year is the, uh, 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 flu shot plus get you through the Bengals season because well, well it's
2: only in Cincinnati for all. Uh, okay. All
1: right. Yeah. That's not offered where I am, but, uh, Anyway, man, 0-5, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, folks. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the the Cardinals game if we we must relive that one. Uh, We've got an interesting topic that's been asked of us quite a bit and kind of floating out there on social media, a little bit of a what-if revolving the head coaching situation with the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to be joined by Kind of, a, you know. Usually, we have someone coming in that will preview the next week's game. We've got a, another special guest, a different guest from Pro Football Focus, Evan McPhillips. Some of you follow him on Twitter and other social media platforms. He specializes in covering the AFC North and the Cincinnati Bengals. So, going to get some perspectives on him. Learn a little bit about what Pro Football Focus does. Dive into some data with the Bengals and uh, things looking forward there. So, we'll get to that. And we're, we're looking to have him uh, on in just about 15, 20 minutes here. So pretty stoked on that. And then we'll talk a little bit about the Ravens game and uh, hopefully hopefully, get out of here. We are simul, simulcasting here on our YouTube channel as well as on CincyJungle.com's Facebook page. And all that stuff is on CincyJungle.com. So glad to have you with us. However you may be joining us, appreciate that. And if you cannot join us live when we record our, our main episode of the week, Definitely get it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, Megaphone, Cincy Jungle, and our YouTube channel. I, I guess let's let's kind of talk about week five here, John. Uh, is this another one of those weeks where you try and find moral victories out of hey they fought their way back and hey it was a close game and or you know is this just more of the same?
2: Yeah. Like I always talk about close games being like coin flips where it kind of goes either way over like a two year sample. But eventually when you do nothing for 53 minutes in the football game, <laughs> yeah. and then you have this offensive explosion in the final seven minutes sandwiched in between there is the three now for the defense. It's like, yeah, that's, that's cool. You fought your way back against a team that was slightly just better than you, who was winless also coming into that week and had a lot of had a myriad of issues on their own. Like it's, it, it, it felt a lot like the Buffalo game in, in that regard where they kind of had this late second half surge, but this time they were at home they weren't dealing with any crowd noise and they had all like 20,000 Bengals fans behind their back cheering around that for that comeback. So, yeah. So like it, it, they, they should not have struggled that much in that game. And I know the offense is pretty bad, but the Carlos defense was nothing, nothing to be feared of. And obviously their pass rush was not like Pittsburgh's and the offense line did a great job of holding up they just couldn't do anything in the passing game for the fifth straight for the really like the fourth or third straight week. And you know, the running game was promising in the first quarter, but as, as we, as we've seen, like the, this offense can't go anywhere if they can't move the ball through the air and they're calling this, The Cardinals secondary was very ripe for just exploiting. And that's exactly what the Cardinals did. That's exactly what Car- uh, Kyler Murray did against the Bengals defense. He basically carried that offense uh, with his legs and through the air and, the better quarterback for the, about the fifth week in row one, and that's just basically the story of the season so far
1: yeah so there's there's a lot of ways we could segue off of that i mean I'm seeing a lot of stuff in our live youtube chat. get get rid of andy dalton that was from anthony johnson um you know uh, all kinds of you know talking about i'm chris vidurek, who i believe is from uh europe um uh, or it says who day Bengals fans around the world. So maybe he is, I don't, I don't know. Regardless, the the, talking about the Finley era, um, you know, we we got a a text message right before the show talking about why aren't the Bengals running more two tight end sets, more power sets um, to, to help the running game. And, you know, you invest, I think I talked about this in the post game reactions. You invest in CJ Uzama, you invest in Tyler Eifert, you invest in Drew Sample. And where are these guys? Um, all of that is part of the equation, Dalton, the ebbs and flows that always come with him. That's part of the equation. The big thing to me though, to kind of touch on some of those listener questions and comments. I mean, the play calling has to really be under scrutiny this week, particularly on offense. I want to go to obviously the, the opening drive the Bengals had, and then the drive in the third quarter where they went for it on their own 42 yard line. Um, on a on a fourth and half a yard, the play calls there. But I also I want to get your thoughts. Let's start with that. Let's start with that because I want to get your thoughts on something else. But let's start with those two drives. I feel like, hey, your own four, you're at your opponent's four yard line, fourth and goal. You've been marching down the field. You could have called some different plays inside the you know as you're getting close to the goal line, and then you don't go for it. You kick the field goal to me that's not a good decision then and of course the shotgun read option play on the fourth and half a yard from your own 42 what was that zach taylor's got a lot of explaining to do
2: yeah and i think pro football focus came out like they, they have a weekly decision of, of the week like um that's predicated upon like how much winning percentage goes up based upon a certain aggressive decision and the, the decision of the week this week was Cliff Kingsbury going for it on fourth down and scoring that touchdown on the Kyler Murray, like play action bootleg run around in his like only eight yard line. That was an aggressive play call. And that was, you know, obviously something that changed the game early on and basically got the Cardinals the lead that in a cushion that they held on for the most of the game. So, yeah, like when you have an offense that is struggling mightily in the red zone, like field goals at this point is, is just not going to cut it. And that's, what the Bengals had to settle for last week um, in, in, in Pittsburgh when they had that one good drive that got them down inside, or excuse me, when they got the ball back on the turnover, right? And they had a three now in the red zone and they were completely unaggressive in that play calling in that series and ended up kicking a field goal, ended up doing them no favors. And again, they had nine points in the first seven drives of the game. They're, you An offense who is so unsustainable or so incapable of sustaining solid drives to get him in that position. You have to take advantage of every position of every chance that you have when when you're in scoring position and even if you know point some points are better than no points for the conventional mind you have to be aggressive when you have an offense that can't be relied on to score more than 20 points for the first three three or so quarters you can't have you know you're not gonna be able to come back in the the last seven minutes of the game every time because not every defense is gonna allow that so they have to be aggressive in every chance that they get and yeah that fourth and one call my, my whole thing is if you're in fourth and one or less always sneak it unless unless the, the both the a gaps are completely covered with four or five guys always sneak it. there's no re- there's no reason to get cued with some with some type of quarterback draw that looks like a read option there's just no reason for that you don't have the blocking for that you don't have the time to basically get moving on the first level if you're if your blockers aren't going to get it done when you have a play that takes that long to develop so i don't understand that i i like how he actually went for it because it was very similar to i think uh back in week one against seattle when they yeah. didn't go for it and then they ended up ended up costing the game. so Right now, it's just baby steps. That sure. one, I think, was
1: in Seattle territory, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I think it was in the own, but it was, it was very close you to Michigan. Having no man's right. land, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So he's, he's slowly learning, and eventually maybe he'll get there, but they, they just need a better play call right there, and that's basically – what the problem was for the first 53 minutes of this game, because unfortunately when you don't have a lot of talent at the receiver position, when you're just relying on Tyler Boyd, there's not a lot of things you can do as far as route concepts and getting open against teams that will play a lot of man coverage. So there's a lot of limitations right now, and there's only so much that, you know, the personnel can do. So it really is up to Zach Taylor being more creative and that just hasn't happened yet.
1: I, I, it was inexplicable that play call to me, the the Mm -hmm. shotgun, you know, I mean, again, I, I, it is a little, A little dicey when you go for it. That you know you're in your own territory, that sort of thing. But I mean, that specific play call out of shotgun. You mentioned the poor blocking. Just line it up, quick snap it. Let Dalton go under center and charge forward for a half. Always
2: sneak it. Always sneak it.
1: Always, always. I I just did not understand that call at all. The other thing I didn't understand, and we can talk a little bit about the defense too, but the other thing I didn't understand from an offensive play call standpoint was the lack of urgency. The lack of you know. Granted, Arizona went to a little bit more of a prevent defense towards the end of the game, which allowed Cincinnati to make some of these plays and and score those touchdowns. But when they hurried up, when they they used less huddles, when they had the Cardinals defense kind of gasping for air and on their toes, whatever cliche you want to use, that's when they were most effective. And you would think that at some point when that offense stopped moving the ball well, throughout massive stretches of that uh, of the game, you would think you'd kind of say, hey, this drive, let's go no huddle. Let's try and mix up a little bit to to get the Cardinals on their heels a little bit and, and see if we can move the ball that way instead of experience these dry spells. And then you see it at the very end of the game. Oh, by the way, now we can score at will. Uh, to me, mix it up a little bit. Mix up the play calls. Don't be so predictable in terms of what you're going to do it may not work, but, I mean, what's it really going to hurt when all you're doing is kicking field goals or punting the football?
2: Right. And, like you said, when you go no huddle, basically you're keeping the same personnel on the field for the for the entirety of the drive. And I think in the past, it was always like they were very predictable in terms of what they would do with a certain personnel. But now they're in 11 personnel for 80, 83% of the time. and They're one of the most pass-heavy teams. The problem is like they started this game off, you know, running the ball and they were gashing the Cardinals defense because the right. Cardinals only had like five or six guys in the box. And for the first time in the, in the for the entire season, you had Cincinnati's offensive lineman winning one-on-one battles up, up front and allowing Mixon to have wide open holes. The Cardinals adjusted to that after that series, and Mixon only had, I think, 30 rushing yards for the rest of the game after he had 60 on that first drive. The Cardinals adjusted on defense, and it it allowed the Bengals to potentially have opportunities in the passing game, but again, it just didn't it just didn't kick start and it really all fell on Tyler Boyd's shoulders basically and, and it took a while for Boyd to get going as well. There wasn't a lot of creativity in, in his in his routes and the way that they, they were utilizing him. He finally got going in the fourth quarter. It just took it just took them so long against the defense that it's just not very impressive on, on any three levels of that defense t- for, for them to do anything positive. And unfortunately like it, the, a solid running game is just not enough and that solid is basically being gratuitous here because it was pretty much inconsistent for the entire game outside of that first drive but. Again, like in the first half now, from weeks two to five, they have an offensive success rate of 29% outside of that that first drive from Mixon. That is by far last in the league. It's like 20% lower than league average. They they cannot afford to keep having these slow starts on offense. And it just comes down to, a lack, like you said, a lack of creativity, a lack of utilization of weapons. They're still preserving Tyler Eifer for whatever reason. Like you said, they have so much invested in, in the tight end position, but they're not really adjusting their personnel usage to the personnel – their formation usage to the personnel they have. And it's just really baffling at this point.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned we, we talked a, a lot about the offense. We've talked a lot about the play calling and and the suspect decisions there. I don't know what to make of the defense because in, in some instances, the the Bengals, I mean, we know the limitations there. We know the injuries, all, all of that in some instances I kind of feel sorry for them because the offense has put them in some poor positions. Um, but at the same time, you know, they, they kind of bent, but didn't break all game. And then, you know, they, they either, you know, held them to punts, field goals, that sort of thing. And then, you know, you need them to hold one more time at the end of the game. And what do they do to let them march down the field to kick the field goal? Um, Nick Vigil allows that that catch to David Johnson. again, tight ends and running backs just uh, they're unable to be covered by this Bengals defense that has been a problem for years. And uh, you know so to me, again, it's just kind of a symptom of a, a, a not a good football team when you can't step up in those critical moments and get a stop, you know make a play. I, you know it, it's on offense too. I mean, the Bengals needed a touchdown. Andy Dalton missed a throw to a wide open Tyler Eifert in the end zone. That that's a big play. We talked about the play the play calls at the in their first drive when they couldn't punch it into the end zone. They kick a field goal, but it's these crunch time plays. A lot of them are on defense that they're just not stepping up.
2: Yeah, and in all honesty, like. Relative to how the rest of the has played out, this was one of the better games that the secondary has played. I can think of off the top of my head a lot of impact plays that not only BW made made in slot, but also Drake Kirkpatrick. I think he had a very solid game, too. And looking at pro football focus right now, they only had three missed tackles this game. It was a much better game in terms of tackling, in terms of being in run fits. They just don't have any explosion there. Like They, they play solid run-fit football. They play solid gap football. They don't have anybody who can basically chase down a runner and basically make a stop at the line it's a lot it's a lot of funneling in but you you would just end up allowing a lot of, of successful plays on the ground in the end so you allow 250 yards but you only have three missed tackles like that just tells me that there's just no one on this defense that they can really rely on to make a stop like your best player is by far geno atkins and he's basically carrying a pass rush that for the past two weeks has two quarterback hits and one sack and like a handful of pressures they have had minimal impact on this on this defensive effort. And when you ha- don't have linebackers who can make impact plays and you, and you have a secondary that is very spotty from week to week, it's a recipe for disaster. And this is the second week that they they've given up 250 rushing yards in a single game, both of them to NFC West teams like the 49ers basically stressed them out horizontally. And the Cardinals did basically whatever they wanted to. And granted now the Cardinals are like the best run, running team in the NFL in terms of uh football outsiders DVOA metric. But like it, it, whether it was Kyler, whether it was David Johnson, who looked like his old self before he was injured, and Chase Edmonds, who's a second-year guy that, who's been really good this year. Like the, the, their offense line isn't anything impressive, but there's just nobody just getting off blocks and making plays in, in these gaps. And it, it it just hurts them in the end. Like they're not doing anything wrong, but there's really no one special there to step up and make any any plays that can significantly impact the game. And as a result, you have long, sustaining drives, and you end up allowing a lot more points than you should have.
1: Yeah, before we move on to to you know another another topic, another segment, I mean, how far away two winless teams? How far away did you see the disparity there? I mean, obviously the end result was only 3 points, but I mean, did you see a big disparity between those two teams uh from what you witnessed this week or is it just two still pretty two pretty bad teams?
2: <laughs> like the, the Cardinals didn't I don't think did anything special. I think they just did I mean, yeah Yeah, i think they just did what they were good at and unfortunately the 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 positives and the weaknesses of both teams kind of matched up pretty evenly for the most part but when you have a when you have an offense that is able to stretch out a defense, like cardinals for a lot of this game ran a lot of two by three two two by two two by three sets forced the Bengals in man coverage whether they had two or one linebackers on the field vacated the middle of the field and they ran a lot of in breaking rounds that torched them when they were forced to be in man coverage and for the most part kyler took off running and i think had a half of his yards off scrambles and two of those scrambles and got them inside the five-yard line where they later scored a touchdown and got them into field range for the game-winning field goal. So it was a lot of what the Cardinals just do well, and the Bengals just don't have the athletes to match up for that. So it was a bad matchup for what the Cardinals like to do, prevalent on offense. And for the first time, I think we saw the, this Cliff Kingsbury version of the air raid really succeed because it was just a matchup made made in heaven for them.
1: Yep. And the Bengals fall to 0-5. They are now one of a very few it's a very small handful of teams vying for that number one overall pick in 2020. Not exactly the type of start to the Zach Taylor era that a lot of people hoped for, envisioned. 0 and five on the regular season, basically one and eight if you want to count preseason um, to to start Zach Taylor's resume off as an NFL head coach, not great, really not overly impressive in terms of new coaches in general across the league. So, uh, Matt LaFleur is kind of really the only lone exception, but, uh, Bengals are own five. They lose to the Cardinals on their home turf. And, um, that's that. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenta. He's John Sheeran. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google play megaphone, You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. And of course, all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work
0: When conditions change without
2: notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: We're going to bring in a special guest here before we do this uh we've we've actually got john we've got a little uh sponsor so uh the the segment the interview the special interview that we usually have these weekly but the interview is by is brought to you by Casabella realty group which is a southern california real estate provider um i i know them from my neck of the woods and they have multiple resources of information uh, it's a great service provider. If someone who listens to this show is looking to relocate to the Southern California area, if they are from the Southern California area and need real estate services information, anything, go to Casabella Realty Group.com. Our thanks for them sponsoring this interview. And I want to bring in now our special guest, Evan McPhillips from Pro Football Focus. Evan, how are you? Can you hear us okay? Yes, sir. Doing great. How about yourself? Doing, doing great. Thanks for joining us. I know it's a little bit of a last minute and I, I said, hey, we're, we're running a couple minutes late tonight, but uh, appreciate you being flexible and joining us. Um, you know, I've I wanna I've wanted to bring someone on from Pro Football Focus for a long time, so I am glad, seeing as how you specialize in the AFC North and the Cincinnati Bengals in particular, I'm, I'm glad you were able to join us. For I kind of wanted to start with this. Talk a little bit about The pro football focus approach because a lot of people there are a lot of well-informed fans out there there are a lot of well-informed Bengals fans especially for what PFF does but some people kind of say okay well what is what exactly does that number mean or how do they get their data that sort of thing if you could shed a little bit of insight at least for a baseline of information for us so that you know we know some people who may be a little bit less informed in terms of what PFF does. They kind of have a baseline of information.
3: Yeah. So I guess um, just scratching the surface a little bit. Um, the first thing I would want to stress is that when we're talking about a PFF grade, we're talking about how PFF is grading production on the field. We're not grading the talent of players. And so what I mean by this is there's a lot of people who would agree that Patrick Mahomes is the most talented quarterback in the NFL. Right. But There, it is possible that on a throw-for-throw basis and a play-for-play basis that he has not been the most productive quarterback in the NFL. And we've seen that in years prior. If you stop and think about it, you know, if people just stop and ask themselves, has this happened before? Is there another instance? And if you think whether you choose Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, what other side of the argument you land on, you agree one of them is the most talented quarterback in the NFL. Well, Matt Ryan won an MVP. Cam Newton won an MVP, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers weren't winning MVPs every year. And it's not saying that they're not the most talented quarterbacks players have up and down years. It's okay for the most talented player to not play like the most talented player at all times. So that would be the first thing I would say is that PFF is evaluating production and not necessarily talent. We're not saying these are the most talented players. We're just saying, given their opportunity, these are the most efficient and productive players. Um, So starting briefly, the scale and how it works. Um, each player will start with a zero at the beginning of a play. And based on doing something either positive or negative, that will increment the increment will increase by about 0.5 all the way to a plus two or a minus two. And these plus twos and these minus twos are reserved for the very catastrophic game ending, interception, pick six, losing, quarterback play, or big time threads the needle on a big throw that puts them in position to win the game at the end. There's not many minus twos or plus twos. It's a lot going to be in that plus a point five, minus a one. So really just the really bad catastrophic plays are typically in the one and a half to two range. So you see a lot of these zeros to start and you may even have neutral plays where, Let's say there's a run play and they're trying to just hold their gaps, right? So the offensive lineman and the defensive lineman, neither one of them really seeds ground. No one wins. Nothing's accomplished. Maybe the run doesn't even go to their side of the play. And so you're not going to downgrade the offensive lineman because they didn't see ground to do anything to compromise the play. But you're also not going to upgrade either of them because they didn't get pushed. They didn't try and blow up or ruin the play or aid the play in any tremendous way other than above expectation. So if a player does something at expectation, they will get a zero. And also, PFF will try and encompass a little bit of context based on things like, let's say, Pat Mahomes is playing with a lot of receivers who are kind of new right now as they're dealing with injuries. If you say Byron Pringle breaks off a route too early and it's clear that there's some sort of miscommunication, we're not going to downgrade either of those players. We're not going to say this is, we're not, it's not our job to say whether that's Mahomes' fault or whether that's Pringles' fault. Mm-hmm. So we focus on what we can actually tangibly understand. And the important thing is to know that each game is graded twice by PFF analysts and then reviewed again by a third senior analyst before that then goes on to be reviewed by former NFL coaches and players. So every single throw by every quarterback we have is getting looked at by Bruce in the office. He's looking at every single one, making sure all the grades line up. So these aren't just Mm -hmm. kind of, Oh, well, Andy Dalton went out there and he had 300 yards and, you know, three touchdowns and a pick that's kind of an, you know, 85 game, you know, there's no, you just kind of basically go play by play. And at the end you have a tally and we normalize that tally and we say, okay, here's their grade. And so we try and stay independent of players around them, we try and stay independent and really isolate a player's individual
1: performance and kind of pack that all into our PFF grade. Gotcha. Uh, Evan, I, you know, kind of going off of that, the thing that, um, you know, I, I kind of want to talk about a little bit of situational scoring, I guess. Uh, that doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be a, a big part of your metrics, but correct me if I'm wrong on that. And I'm really referencing a tweet you put out that I found very interesting uh, shortly I think it was on Monday. Uh, Andy Dalton earned a 77.4 PFF passing grade against Arizona's highest mark of the season, ninth among the quarterbacks mm-hmm. uh, through the first four weeks. Dalton produced a 62.7 grade from a clean pocket. Um, I, I guess you know when you hear uh, that's 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 kind of continuing on my off my last question. Dalton threw for a career low 22 yards in the first half. And then, you know, he has a a PFF high score. I guess just if you can clarify a little bit of the disparity and how that score came about.
3: So part of that can be that a lot of those first half plays may not have been where a lot of the clean pockets came from. The clean pockets may have come later in the game when he had more space and time to throw. Um, A big part of that too is that that Tyler Boyd play at the end was a big play. Yeah. that helped put them kind of back into striking distance that's also going to bump his grade up and that play came from a clean pocket as well so that's also going to alter his grade and that's another thing to understand about the grading system too is that these plus ones or one and a plus one and a half are going to mean a lot more than you know 10 plays at zero and a couple plays with a 0.5 so your grade can significantly change by if you, let's say you're a defensive back and you have a bunch of just average neutral snaps, but then you give up one good play, or I'm sorry, one bad play where you just blow the coverage and give up a long touchdown. That's going to severely impact your grade, even though you were just average or expected for most of your plays. And you only gave up one big play that one big play collectively at the end is going to hurt your PFF grade. So there could be a couple different factors in that, like I said, where, maybe the cleaner pockets came in the second half. Maybe Arizona was playing a little bit off more and letting Dalton kind of figure out what he wanted to do and kind of let him to try and make a mistake. Also, I think Andre Smith going out early and then John Jerry coming in and playing really well. um, I think that helped them out too. Um, So there's a few things that can go into that. And also what I was trying to illustrate with that tweet too, is that Dalton performed well this game. It's, Closer to what we've seen from good Dalton when, Hey, what does it look like when Dalton is clean? We, we know Dalton looks bad when he's under pressure. Everyone expects that. How can you possibly do anything with this line? Letting pressure in your face. Okay. So leave all those snaps out then. Let's just look at the clean performance. Let's see how he's doing. And aside from yesterday, it has not been good. Andy Dalton has been uncharacteristically bad from a clean pocket. And we can talk a little bit about that later too. Um, but it's, really just talking about how Andy Dalton has not been himself. It's not the same 2015 and 2016 Andy that we're seeing this year. And so people kind of have this idea of, oh, you can just kind of build around Dalton and you can kind of just make things better around him. Things will get better. Look at how he did in 2015. You can win with him, but we're seeing even in perfect conditions or clean pocket conditions that he's still not performing up to par And so then you start asking yourself some really difficult questions, but I'll leave those questions for you guys to ask.
2: Yeah. So Evan, uh, I want to talk about a little bit of the offensive line and specifically from like a big picture perspective. A lot of people uh, agree with the notion that, you know, you need to build back this offensive line for Dalton or maybe even rookie quarterback to succeed. And when building an offensive line, because I know a lot of people at, at PFF were very critical, myself included, not at PFF, but myself included of the, like the Laramie Tunsil trade, right? For And how that trade would magically, you know, transform the Texans offensive line, when in reality, it's just one guy's out of five. So uh, using PFF metrics and in, in, in your data and how valuable each player is, what, what, what would you say for the process of building an offensive line? Where would you really start? Where really is the value in terms of those pieces along the line for a team who needs to get much better at it?
3: So... Like you mentioned, we see the Texans take this big swing at getting this one name, right? And you can get this one tackle. You can get, let's say, the Seahawks get a Dwayne Brown. That's great. But there's still four other guys on a basic run play that are responsible for blocking. And I remember seeing on your Cincy Jungle, um, you were talking about John Jerry's play at tackle. And the first play you brought up was a Joe Mixon toss play. Jerry gets out there and makes a great block. He does Mm -hmm. everything great. That run should go for more. But because Hopkins didn't hold up his end on that play. Suddenly that play goes from an explosive run to just an average game. And so as good, let's, let's say John Jerry was, you know, Andrew Whitworth or Larry Tunsell or any of these guys, it doesn't matter how good one guy is if four other guys, if Michael Jordan is just getting bullied, if he can't even get into his pass set because he's just getting shoved back into Andy Dalton, it's not going to matter how well one guy is blocking if four others can't. And you kind of see this borne out in the data And I know Eric Eager and I know Josh Hermsmeyer, I think I'm pronouncing that right, of Mm -hmm. airyards.com. He's done some really good work on that where they kind of examine how the running game is really just a factor of a box numbers advantage. And you want to try and get the fewest numbers of defenders in the box as you can. And we see that with like the Rams having so much success running an 11 personnel because they were spreading people out. They were getting numbers advantages in the box. And even though they were predicated on a running team, Todd Gurley was seeing some of the fewest stacked boxes in the NFL. And so what you're seeing is that you want to try and space this out and decrease the amount of blockers in there, which kind of makes sense if you stop and think about it. The more blockers you add, the more defenders you bring into the box, which favors the defense because you're asking eight guys now, seven guys to execute blocks. And it only takes one ruined block to completely just tank the run play. And so the idea, like the Cardinals, spacing everybody out. I saw, gosh, I can't remember who it was the other day, but he said the Arizona Cardinals were number one in DVOA rush efficiency. And they're not a great offensive line. It's because they're getting good box numbers. They're spacing people out using 10 personnel and 11 personnel. And they're getting these advantages box numbers, and then they're using those. So to answer your question about how I would recommend building the offensive line, I think acquiring multiple average players is a better investment than trying to just shell out first round picks and throw first round picks at the problem because that cannot work out. Maybe Laramie Tunsil works out great, but they may not see enough return in value where they feel like that was good because the rest of their offensive line is suffering. Or you run into a Jake Fisher or Cedric Abuehi issue where you spend premium draft capital on a guy just going, oh, he's going to walk right in and just kind of figure it out. But that's not the case. And so giving up these second or third rounders to get these average linemen or signing these guys in free agency understanding that even average offensive line play is so valuable in the NFL. If you could just have average tackles and average guards, you'd be in great shape. So I think Jonah Williams is going to be great addition to help him get in there. It's good to have a left tackle and basically another first round pick coming back. I feel like it's every year, you know, you're saying (laughs) that, Oh, it's like an extra first round pick. It's fine. It's fine. But hopefully that helps. Maybe. Some of the offensive line, Trey Hopkins has been a really lone bright spot of the offensive Mm -hmm. line. So if you've got Hopkins, if you've got Jonah, maybe if you can work on drafting some guys to help get that interior line depth and maybe look at a Bobby Hart replacement, depending on how the Bengals feel about how he performs this season. You can start seeing the Bengals creeping toward average. You can see a path where this kind of works out a little bit better in their favor, where suddenly they have Jonah. Maybe they invest two picks in the first three or four rounds on the offensive line, and they can try and work something out to where they can get back to close to average. Because right now, it's just been near the bottom. They're And almost every metric is a team right now. Run blocking, pass blocking, the Bengals are 25th or lower in just everything. And so you really got to start in the trenches like you were talking about, too. And you just got to kind of get these average players that can all execute their blocks. They don't need to be superstars. They don't need to be pancaking. They just need to be execute their assignments and let the talented guys like Joe Mixon and Gio get in space.
1: Talking with Evan McPhillips of pro football focus. He covers the Bengals and uh, the AFC North. Glad to have him with us. You set up a nice segue for my next question, Evan. And that is uh, you tweeted out a, a mock draft recently for the Bengals. Um, some interesting names. Uh, one, one pick I really liked you have, you have them at number one, which I believe is where they're slated currently right now. That's why you have mm-hmm. them. Uh, yeah. You have them there. Uh, I, I loved being, I, I don't know if you know, I'm on the, the West coast. So I watch a lot of PAC 12 football. I loved your pick at number 33, LaVisca Chenault. I Oh yeah. I, that he's guy is a lot of fun. That guy is, yeah, he's a fun player. Um, so, I like that. I like the interior lineman uh, from Fresno State uh, at, at, in the third round there. I, I like a lot of your picks. I am more, again, I guess it's kind of the, the West Coast guy in me. I am more of a Justin Herbert guy than a Tua Tagovailoa, and you took Tua number one overall. I think I read that PFF has Tua as their highest-rated quarterback uh, of the you know highest graded quarterback Um, is that why you simply went that way do you really like him more uh, as a football player than Herbert what what was the mindset in, in taking him number one overall there
3: so my thoughts there are I'll tell you I was a big Justin Herbert fan last season I watched his game against Cal last year and fell in love I saw him make some incredible throws that game really liked him a lot Recently, I know this is just terrible to say, but I heard a comparison to Blaine Gabbert in the back of my head that I just can't get out now. Every time I see him, I hear it just whispering in the back of my ear, and it scares the hell out of me now, especially with kind of how he's been playing this season where he's still solid, he's still playing well, but it's not like take the reins like you'd like to see. Um, So I kind of just took Tua as kind of like a safe status quo pick, you kind of know what you're getting in him. Yeah, he's going to have average arm strength, if that. He's going to have a little kooky mechanics. And yeah, if you want to knock him for being a lefty, sure, go ahead. Um, but he throws with anticipation and touch. He's great in the intermediate parts of the field. He really shows the ability to kind of diagnose. And what I love, love, love about watching him play is that He can feel pressure, and even though he's mobile, he doesn't look to run or bail on the pocket. He's okay with doing those subtle moves in the pocket to kind of evade pressure and buy time, and that's something that you feel like you haven't seen from Andy Dalton in a while. So it's nice to be able to see a a quarterback able to just maneuver the pocket, and I just kind of think that, like I said, status quo, the other guy that PFF actually this season just came out with our quarterback rankings, and Joe Burrow is actually at the top. And part of that is because of how incredible he's been downfield. Now, look, just being completely upfront with you, I went to Alabama for a bit. I'm an Alabama fan. All right. I watched a little bit of Joe Burrow in his first year. I said, okay, this is the best quarterback LSU's probably had in a while. Like, okay, I, I can see why there was some hype. Like, you know, there's some tools. But the way he's come out this year is just sensational. He's on fire. I mean, he looks like he can't do anything wrong and – I want to buy into it. I do. But I also go, okay, it's been like six or seven games. Let's go ahead. Let's take a breath. Let's evaluate the entire body of work when we get there. So I didn't want to jump the gun on Joe. So essentially I cheated and just took Tua as the safe pick just because of the status quo and knowing that I could kind of get some other guys later that would kind of help him out like LaVisca that could be a matchup nightmare that could kind of help him as an offensive piece.
1: Yeah, just real quick before before John uh, has got another question for you. I just want to let our listeners know whether they're watching the YouTube channel after the fact or they're joining us live, or for those joining us on, on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, I did put the link to Evan's Mock Bengals mock draft there, so check that out uh, so you know kind of what we're referencing.
2: Still talking with Evan McPhillips of Pro Football Focus, the Cincinnati Bengals. Um expert for for PFF he's the guy with all the stats. Uh Evan, just looking at PFF grades, uh comparing this Bengals team with last year's team, where is really the one position or really players I guess who have taken the biggest step forward in terms of PFF grading where where, where are the positions and players who have really taken a step back? So,
3: the biggest place you've kind of seen people take step forwards uh is Andrew Billings has had a really good year this year already. Um you know what you're kind of getting as a pass rusher for him, you know, he's he's strong dude he'll he'll go and he'll push hard and collapse that pocket but there's not much refinement in terms of moves there and that's fine because he's a big body he's a gap eater and he's going to sit there and he plays really well against the run um you don't like to see that he's also been kind of snake bitten by the missed tackle bug that seems to plague the Bengals this season um you've also seen josh tuopu tupo tupo yeah tupo yeah tupo He's taken a step forward in his limited snaps. He's looked really good. He's actually the Bengals' sixth-highest-graded defender right now, and if you kind of play with the snap counts, you can get him even higher. Um, It's unfortunate to see Darius Phillips also be their highest-graded defender and limited snaps, albeit with him being on IR, but hopefully he can come back and at least stick around on the roster and they can try and evaluate what kind of talent they have in that secondary and whether or not they can address the – communication and secondary issues they've had in-house or whether they feel like they need to go outside and address that talent. and I'll leave that up to you guys to decide whether that's the coordinator or whether that's the defensive players in the scheme. But um, in terms of step back, you really seen a step back from William Jackson and Jesse Bates, who were two yeah. guys that you saw a really bright year from last year and more so William Jackson down the second half of last season when he was top five in yards per cover snap allowed. I think it was like week 11 to 17 in the second half there. And you've just seen a lot of the tackling issues that kind of plagued Jesse Bates a little bit at Wake Forest. They didn't come out so much last year, but I mean, if you're looking at it right now, he, Nick Vigil, Preston Brown, and Sean Williams too. I mean, and Carl Lawson, even, all these guys are graded under 60 right now. And there's been some issues and coverage and communication and, some interesting decisions like to drop Andrew Billings in coverage and rush nine. I I won't get into that, but basically we're seeing a lot of regression. We're seeing some growing pains like the Bengals hired. What was it? Their sixth, their seventh choice at defensive coordinator. I, I don't want to expect Lou to be Wade Phillips, but you also want to be expecting that he's not going to try and get cute and get too exotic with these coverages and put these guys in compromising positions. Um, But really it's just, like I heard you guys talking about when I came in earlier, it's these small plays that when you miss tackles turn into big plays and extend drives. And in turn, just wear you down, just completely take you out of the game mentally, physically, you feel beaten down and it's just, it, it, it's showing up all the time. You see Kirk and William and Jesse Bates. It's not just one guy. It's the whole team all together. And so they all need to come together as a team and say, look, we've missed 38 tackles already. This is going to be a long season. We're on pace to miss almost a hundred or more. Like this has got to stop. We got to put our foot down and we got to just hit somebody, man, hit somebody <laughs> and wrap up. You want to see him get aggressive and man, it's tough. Cause you know, you see William Jackson when he gets cut by Matt Brita, who just reverses it around the sideline and goes for 30 yards. It's like, man, I, I see you're trying to make the right play. You were trying to contain to make sure you didn't bounce outside and you kind of just lost your balance. It's, it's hard to default to a guy for that, but at the same time, you got to be like, man, you just, you got to be able to make that tackle or at least slow him down and put a hand on him. So you've seen some step backs on the steps back on the defense. Tyler Boyd is doing all that he can, but they really need AJ green back. Losing John Ross isn't going to help them at all. And as I'm sure you guys have pointed out, you know, Darius Phillips and Auden Tate, or I'm sorry, not Darius Phillips, Damian Willis and, uh, audentate these are not guys who are coming out of college were known for their ability to separate they were known for strong hands being able to make contested catches and being able to high point the ball they're not they're not separation machines so they really need that kind of John Ross and AJ green who are their vertical threats and maybe Boyd will kind of have to fill that a little bit where they can kind of stretch the field a little bit because right now the Bengals can't run and they're just if I was a defensive coordinator, I'd sit down near the line of scrimmage and near the sticks and just kind of dare them. Andy Dalton, beat me deep. If it is, it's probably a contested ball. You know, it, 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 he probably underthrows it, or you know, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a jump ball. So, I, I would like those odds if I was a Bengals defensive coordinator. But I mean, man, between injuries and missed tackles and just kind of trying to piece everything together on the fly with a new head coach and a and a new defensive coordinator, that's just it's, you're, you're seeing a, a team that looks like they've got all these new pieces and are trying to figure out how it all works together.
1: Evan, before we get you out of here uh, quickly here, just what – what era, I mean, obviously issues are aplenty with the Bengals this year. From a grading standpoint, if the Bengals made a change at quarterback, if it was improving the offensive line, if it was getting those two guys back healthy in A.J. Green and John Ross – if it's linebacker additions what if they were to do one thing from a grade you know you're looking at the team grades and everything what would be the the quickest and biggest immediate fix
3: well it looks like in terms of defense coverage has been an issue um and also tackling of course um those have not been good but honestly i'm going to say that Andy Dalton, looking at his grades, and I'll take this a step deeper, not even just looking at his standard grades, looking at his clean pocket grades. And so when I'm saying clean pocket, the reason that we're looking at this is that this play from a a clean pocket is more stable than play under pressure for a QB. And the PFF grade from a clean pocket has a correlation year over year of about 40%, which is higher than both passer rating and expected points added from a clean pocket. So it's a very accurate descriptor of how quarterbacks are playing, how they're going to play in the future. It's, it's one of the best indicators we have. And Andy Dalton from a clean pocket this year, he's 27th in grade. His pass rating is an 86.8, which is 30th out of 33. His uncatchable patch, his uncatchable pass percentage, which is the num- percentage of uncatchable passes he's throwing from a clean pocket with no pressure, is 20.4%. That right. is absurdly high. It's 29th out of 33, and it's unacceptable when you're looking at these perfect conditions that people say don't exist in the NFL, which, by the way, Andy Dalton has clean drops on about 66% of his dropbacks. So that's just not true. He's just got a lot of pressure because he's also got a lot of dropbacks. It's it's one of those things. Right. Um, looking at a clean pocket as well, his average depth of target is just 6.9 yards. That's also 26th, a career low. And it's just not been good. Like I said, it was a 62.7 until he played the Cardinals, and it was an 85.5, and he still ranks 27th. The fact of the matter is that even when the offensive line has been perfect and clean and given Andy Dalton opportunity and time to throw, he has not been good enough. His big-time throw percentage on the season – let me pull that up real quick. 2.44%. 26 out of 28 qualifying quarterbacks. Wow. His turnover-worthy play percentage, which is right. basically – even including and dropped and interceptions play, and turnover worthy plays, plays. Is, 3.1%, is 3.1%, which is the 10th best rate, which he's not taking a lot of risks, but he's also not getting a lot of these big time throws because he's not taking these risks. He's not making these big plays that are required. These explosive plays when you can't get this offense to run, you need these big plays and he's not taking these big shots. He's not even attempting them. And it's just, it's not been good. He's sitting here at a 61.5 overall grade and 6.1 yards per attempt. And, I won't even read the outside the pocket numbers. They're just no. bad. They're <laughs> bad, okay? I mean, putrid. So I just I think at this point, you know who Andy Dalton is. You've seen him looking strictly at his clean pockets when he's in perfect conditions that he still has not been good. He still has not even been average. He's been near the bottom in the league. And at this point, it's you can't say we need 2015 or 2016 Dalton if we just give him the pieces because that's not the case. We looked at the clean pocket percentages here and it's just not the same guy. He's not taking the same chances. And for whatever reason that is, is not ours to say. It's just, these are the facts. He's just not playing well when everything is perfect for him. And so that begs the question of even if he was perfect, let's say he is that 2015, 2016, the Bengals are a team that builds through the draft, not through free agency. And if you're going to build a complete team around Andy Dalton, you can't only utilize 50% of your methods of bringing in players. It's not going to work. You're never going to assemble the team that Andy Dalton needs. They yeah. said Jared Goff is just, you know, he's good, but we need more. So they went out and they traded and they traded and they signed people for $14 million. You know, they could have signed a Gerald McCoy and said, hey, we'll give you a one one year deal or a two year deal. We don't we don't need the money. They didn't pull an Indomitian Sue and say, hey, we'll put you next to Gino and just let you guys wreak havoc on everybody's lines. They said eh, for the price, we're fine and that's okay that's their philosophy but if that's their philosophy then Andy Dalton is not going to be the quarterback who will be able to get them over the hump that way
1: well it's okay when you're not 0-5 when you're 0-5 uh then then you call that stuff into question Evan where can people uh find your stuff uh find you on Twitter and and other platforms
3: yep you can find me on Twitter at emixville and you can also find our work on PFF I also want to shout out that uh if you use the promo code radio 25, you get 25% off any subscription. And if you use elite 50, you get 50 bucks off of your elite subscription, which is a pretty dang good deal. So if you're big into football, you like using fantasy football and seeing all these grades and you like these statistics we talked about, and I would recommend going on there and giving it a shot and trying it out.
1: Dude, Evan, this is, this has been awesome. Very insightful. Uh, I I greatly appreciate you coming on the show. I, I'd love to have you on again. Um, either maybe towards the end of the season or definitely after draft time, uh, once the Bengals kind of solidify their class, and then you can kind of let us maybe hopefully get some insight on some of these guys that they bring in and, um, you know, talk about free agency, what they probably will not do, but uh, <laughs> uh, talk about some of that stuff. We'd I'd love to have you back on, man, if you're willing. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. That, was Evan McPhillips from Pro Football Focus? He covers the Cincinnati Bengals for their website, and that interview again was brought to you by Casabella Realty Group, the Southern California real estate experts. Go to realtygroup.com for listings, information, information on properties in the area, data, all of that good stuff. We appreciate them sponsoring that interview. Good stuff from Evan. You know we we kind of wanted it only to go like 15 minutes. But to me, he was just like giving us all this awesome stuff. I'm like, just keep going, dude. Just, <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I mean, the, yeah, he, he literally has a database. He had a database in front of him. And he just kept scrolling. Right. I'm like, just keep feeding me. But I'm, I'm totally shocked that a guy who works for football, you know, like statistics and analytics stuff said that improving the quarterback plays that what's going to turn this team around. I'm totally shocked that he said that. Totally. Shocked.
1: Absolutely blown away. Right.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, I, I, I part of me kind of when I asked that question. Part of me kind of said he's going to go quarterback. He's going to say that because it's the most important position. Part because of me because it's true,
2: and I'm glad right. somebody besides us has said it.
1: Right, so. right. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I think some of the things that he pointed to with Andy Dalton and some of those egregious statistics that he pointed out, I, mean, I think unfortunately, yeah, so a lot of it is who Andy Dalton is as a quarterback and his own shortcomings, but. I think especially the regression we've seen this year has to do a lot with the line in front of him. And and we talked about this, John, where he just looks like a broken dude back there. Uh, to, he's he's sensing pressure that's not there because it comes so frequently. Um, he's, he's not making accurate passes in clean pockets. The Tyler Eifert touchdown throw, we referenced that earlier, um, that was missed in the third quarter last week. Others, uh, it's been a frustrating year. And um, I think just in general, it's time for a little bit of a separation there, yeah. And I think Evan hinted at that, <laughs> not so, not so, uh, not so subtly between his mock draft taking Tua and then uh, some of those stats he threw out there. But I thought that was really entertaining. Um, just a, a side of things we haven't had on this show
2: before. Absolutely, like there's there's such a negative perception with PFF, and it just drives me nuts because it's like all these guys don't watch the film and just look at numbers. The numbers literally come from the film, and as you said, they literally review the film three times a game. And the, the the guy, the guy he said who reviewed all the quarterbacks, Bruce, that's Bruce Gradkowski, the former Bengals quarterback. He works for PFF. So they have a lot of former NFL employees working with them and a lot, a lot of, a lot of teams subscribe to it. So it, it's a worthy, it's a worthy subscription. If you don't have it, I have it. Anthony uses my account as well. So it definitely go out and get it. Definitely take advantage of that deal.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool deal. So go go take advantage of uh, what he had said for the PFF subscription. And speaking of subscriptions, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone. Uh, we have a YouTube channel which in which we are streaming live right now unless you're watching after the fact uh, but we do stream our show live there as well as on cincyjungle.com and Cincy Jungle's facebook page so appreciate you joining us and uh hopefully you enjoyed the interview there with with evan mcphillips from pff john we've we've got kind of there's a lot of things still kind of to get to we are running long so we'll try and make some of these brief one of the things that it's kind of just a little fun topic, we'll talk about it only for a couple minutes here. But I've been asked about it a lot, I've seen it on social media. Um, I, I, where do you think this team would be if they did not make this coaching change? Um, and I think the loaded question you know, some people are like, Well, why do you even need to talk about it? Well, it's interesting um, because this team has. More or less, under Zach Taylor has had a shot to be three and two. You know, through the three of their five losses, were by a combined eight points. Um, So, it it, kind of the little things, the injuries, this bad draft class. What at least what seems like an ineffective draft class that Taylor brought in. Um, You know, obviously, you would hope that the long term, long term, the Taylor higher is going to pay off more dividends than Lewis, but um, loaded question, but one that's been asked a lot. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts as to where you think the Bengals would be at this point, if they did not make the coaching change.
2: Well, this is still, guess. this is still the team that Lewis assembled 90% wise. And, they're still losing games that Lewis would have lost. Maybe they win a couple more, and eat, say they're two and three right now. They they would be on pace for what like seven and nine, eight and yeah. eight, nine seven. Like that's it's not it's nothing different than what we've seen in the past. And if if Lewis is still here at the end of the year when they inevitably miss the playoffs, we would be saying the same things that we said last year. So yeah from a, a short-term perspective, they would be better, I guess, because this team is still the team that Lewis assembled. I and mean, he might have a better idea of how to utilize all these players and whatnot. And maybe there's obviously some things he, ha- he would have experienced knowing as a head coach for 16 years, that Zach Taylor is still finding about himself. Now, great. Yeah. yeah. You still have to remember like Zach Taylor, this is like his, this is maybe his 10th NFL game. He's calling plays the coming up because he was an interim back in Miami. And, and obviously he's only had five games uh, of here in Cincinnati. So, there's still a lot of inexperience with this coaching staff that obviously Lewis would have an advantage on. And for all the shortcomings that Lewis has, there is something to be said about experience, especially when you're talking about 16 years' worth of it. So, yeah, this team might win the Seattle game. Maybe they win the Buffalo game. Maybe they win the Arizona game. They probably don't win all three. Let's just give them the benefit of doubt and give them like two and three. They're still a bad football team for the most part. They still wouldn't be graded very highly in terms of all the other metrics and whatnot. And their outlook for the rest of the year wouldn't be they're going to the playoffs so i don't think it would be anything different than what we've seen in the past and if they have to get go through these rough patches and this is a really rough patch but if they have to go through these rough patches in order to get to a a greener, grassy area in, in the near future then that's a necessary step that they have to take so regardless if they're worse in the short term the goal like you said is to be to be better in the long term which is what i think our focus needs to be on
1: Right. I love, I love the answer by Malcolm Wilhelm in the, in the live YouTube chat. We know how it would end if Marvin was still here at best in eight and eight. And that's, <laughs> that's, uh, it's pretty accurate. Hard to argue with that. I mean, yeah, I think right now it would be the two or it, they would either be two and three or three and two. I think they probably would have beaten, uh, you know, Buffalo maybe one this week against Arizona, who knows what would have happened in, in Seattle, that sort of thing. But, um, like you said, this is about this is a long term play, right? I mean this this hire we we had sixteen years of Marvin. We know he's that five hundred ish, occasional playoff berth kind of guy. There there obviously with an zero five start, these questions are going to happen are, are going to occur. The only con- real concern for me, I mean, it was time. It was time to move on from to, from Marvin. It just was overdue. I would have moved on from him probably after that 2015 wild card loss against Pittsburgh. That was probably the time for me to to say, you know what, that that showed me enough. We we need to move on. But they didn't. We're here now. The one thing that worries me, and I, I again, I'm not inside those walls. I'm not in that front office, so I don't know. But the one thing that worries me are those those hints and those rumors and even some substantiated information that Lewis had Mike Brown's ear. He was able to push Mike Brown to change certain operational practices, move into, I mean, you can, you can go all the way back to the TJ Hushman Zada jockstrap pre Marvin jockstrap story to what they became after that um, all kinds of different things scenarios that's the one thing where and and Lewis had built up that equity and built it up quickly because he he had them knocking on the door of the playoffs in his first season he had them in the playoffs in his third season as head coach so he had built up that that equity within the team to be able to kind of pound the table and 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 get the organization to move. I I that's the one thing I worry about with Taylor, especially being a younger guy, that sort of thing. I don't know if you think that that's a founded concern of mine or not, but that's that's kind of the one area where I say yes, this is a long term play, but I worry about that.
2: I I mean I was fortunate enough to have a tour of Paul Brown Stadium back in August when. Uh, it was me and Nick Manchester who who were able to get grab some interviews, but there were a lot of like I walked into like Paul Rod Stadium as like a media member, and like there, there there was this like this this brand new like facility built like outside the outside of the team cafeteria. Um, um, Emily Parker, who was touring us, said like Zach had like like seven new offices built that l- overlook the indoor practice, practice practice facility that they have in there. There's a bunch of new like amenities and whatnot. So all that stuff was brand new from this year. And like they had like um, specialized like like um player introductions for like media day and whatnot. And it was like completely different from Marvin Lewis. And they brought in a practice clock for the practice field for the first yeah. time in, in the century. So I do think actually – to your concern, I think there have been a lot of changes that Taylor himself has made when when he first stepped in, and and it was kind of compounded upon this 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 change and this, this um solidifying this culture change or whatnot. So I think there is some pull that he already has, and it might be a testament to a long term commitment commitment to him and how this won't be a pro- like a project that goes down the tube after two years. So I think there is some type of some type of um, influence that he's already gaining there. But it's just a matter of will it translate to wins uh, over the long run? And it did for Lewis compared to what he was getting into after the lost decade. But, like you know, that was that was phase A, you know, being the bottom of the basement. Now they were in phase B with Lewis. Now they need to get to phase C, which is, you know, actually competing for championships. So all this stuff is kind of nice and whatnot. But until they evolve in the crucial areas of roster con- construction and, and actual investing in, in talent, that's going to be the thing that holds them back.
1: Yeah. And I hope, I hope Taylor pounds the table about free agency, about the draft, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, helps him uh, builds off of what Lewis built and pushes, pushes the team even further. Uh, just an interesting thing. And, you know, I, I think if you, the hope is here that, you know, we talked about the long-term play, the hope is here that, you know, it, through this struggle by the end of the year, Taylor and his staff have kind of found their feet under him. They're able to get some wins, some late season momentum, hopefully still maintain a, a high draft pick to get a high impact player or more than one high impact player next year, but show some improvement. And then, you know, the next year you can kind of say, look, they lost a handful of these games or a big handful of these games by one possession. Certain things can change in a year, whether it's health, get a new quarterback, improved offensive line. And all of a sudden those one possession games become one possession game wins because you were close the year before. So, um, you know, obviously that's the hope Taylor's the guy, you know, and I think all of us are behind him to succeed. It's just been a very rough start, unfortunately. So, um, Interesting interesting question. I've been seeing a lot of that and people have been asking me that. I'm sure maybe you've you've been asked that once or twice too, John, but I just kind of wanted to chat about that a little bit. Let's talk just for a couple minutes more about the upcoming game against the Ravens, the Bengals go to
2: Baltimore.
1: Ironically, even at zero and five, I mean, this division still seems open, man. It's um, so
2: trash. It's so bad.
1: Not very good, and it's like, oh my gosh, the year the Bengals are down, this the rest of the division is just so terrible. Um, I, look, the Bengals have had some some success against the Ravens uh, last year, not notwithstanding there, but I mean, when AJ Green was healthy and and Dalton was kind of at at his peak. They rattled off a handful of straight wins against the Ravens, who were also a a good team during that stretch. So, um, Lamar Jackson, he's shown a lot of good. He's shown a little bit bad. He seems to be improved, at least to me, from last season as a passer especially. Would you agree?
2: Oh, yeah. And the, the thing with Lamar, it's kind of interesting because for weeks one and two, he was lighting the NFL on fire, and they've played the Chiefs. Browns and the Steelers in weeks three and five. And I think he's just basically bought them out. So it might be, might just be like a regression back to the meme, to the mean, excuse me, for what he actually is. But the, the goal for them was always that he improves upon last year and develops into a more refined passer. And we're seeing that even through the struggles of the last couple of weeks, but he is definitely better and, and more evolved than what he was last year. And and even so last year when they played Lamar Jackson for the first time, I think that was his first start. He ran all over them. And that was the main reason why that game got out of hand really quickly. And there wasn't enough time for the Bengals to really catch up. But like Lamar is much better than he was last year, even though he's kind of going through this rough stretch. But that th- what he's going through right now is like the one reason why they stand a chance of, you, of even competing in this game. Because if Lamar Jackson plays like he did in weeks one and two, like this game could be over really quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that you know that's kind of where I was going next. I mean, what kind of chance do the Bengals stand this week without AJ Green? Looks like without Cordy Glenn. Um, you know, no John Ross. I mean, the, the the injuries keep piling up. I mean, is is there a is there a snowball's chance in hell that they could pull this one out?
2: That's the thing. Like the, this game is featuring two basically below average defense is like Baltimore for all the talent that they have there. They've, they've experienced severe regression because they just don't have enough pass rushers right now. They lost trail Suggs. They lost the Darius Smith. They don't really have anyone. They can rely on to rush the passer. So it could be another game where Dolan sees more opportunities from clean pockets, but this Ravens defense features a more talented secondary than, than the Cardinals did or the Steelers for that matter. They still have Marlon Humphrey. Hope maybe they have Jimmy King who's uh, going through injuries right now and they have, Still, Earl, Earl Thomas, who has burned eighty dollars in the past. So overall, this defense is not intimidating, especially compared to the Bengals. They're about the same in a lot of metrics, but that offense, man, like it has, it has the potential to do a lot of damage. And like the Bengals, Bengals defense and offense isn't very good. The Ravens' defense is very good, but offensively, the Ravens can be extremely potent. And it really comes down to how how healthy are they going to be because Marquise Brown the stud rookie receiver, I think leads all r- rookies and yards. He's, he's, he's injured right now. Mark Andrews, the tight end is injured as well. If the Mar does, if, if he doesn't have those two options, this game could be a lot closer, but also like we saw last week, like th- this was Kyle last week was Kyler Murray's best game as a runner for, for, as a quarterback. And he burned them on multiple occasions. Lamar Jackson definitely has the same, if not more capability of doing the exact same thing to the Bengals defense. And it's not like, the Bengals defense can watch, you know, film of, of last week's game and say, Oh, we'll just improve upon these things. They don't have the athletes to match up with it on the defense line and the linebacker position. And like Evan was talking about, they're, they're tackling in the back end. It's just not it's not good enough to contain a quarterback with that athleticism. So it's gonna be another test for, for them to, to try to limit him. And if Lamar doesn't even need to run, if he can just throw it, throw the ball down the field and knock off these explosive plays, I think that's probably what's gonna be the difference. I'm, the Bengals shouldn't have too much of an issue scoring against this defense because, again, they're not very good in in, in any significant metric, but it'll it'll come down to the Bengals' defense trying to keep up and and trying to stop the Ravens' offense from really taking the game out of hand.
1: If you were to pick, you know, a a guy that would be kind of a key, a major key this week, particularly in in this game against the Ravens for the Bengals to be potentially successful – um, who, whether it's one of their star guys, whether it's their quarterback. I mean, obviously the quarterback always is going to be a guy, or a guy they haven't used that they should be using. Um, You know, who who are some guys? Maybe a, a couple of guys that pop in your mind. They say, you know, they need to use this guy this week. They need to be effective in this area with this player this week.
2: I think on both sides of the ball, it'll come down to how, like, they like they don't have a vertical threat on offense right now. Like, they can they can trot out Tyler Boyd and have him run you know t- 20 seam routes a game but that's not his strength right and he, he, he can pop open a couple times like he did against the cardinals but they, they need someone who can, who can get open down the field that's that's where they should use tyler right for more like they have to use him in some capacity now because they have no other options literally in their entire receiving core like he was one of the best vertical options at the at the tight end position when when, when he was in his prime and they're just really passive with how they're using him now like that that is how they can you know open up that Ravens defense. I know they play a lot of middle field close, which is where they just have a single high safety. So, you know, using Eifert on the boundary on, on some outbreaking routes and get them on some corner routes maybe, that would be really helpful. And I've just basically accepted at this point that unless Geno Atkins legitimately just pops off um, as a pass rusher, the defense has basically no chance. And unfortunately, the Ravens boys a pretty good interior offensive line, specifically with, Mar- with Marshall Yonda. So, like, Atkins has to have a monster game to you know, pressure Lamar into making some bad decisions maybe. And it really is. It, it's past time to really use Iford as a vertical option as a receiver. And because they really don't have anybody else there who can stretch the field.
1: Yeah, that was, that was the guy I was probably going to go with. I will also throw out Andrew Billings because the Bengals will probably need to, to do some things in terms of stifling the run game, those read, you know, those RPOs and all that kind of stuff. the, The stretch plays now, granted, Billings is an interior guy, but he has been, uh, you know, you heard Evan talk about it. He's been a pleasant surprise for the Bengals this year. He's shown a lot of improvement, particularly in the run game. He's more of a space eater. Um, So I I think, you know, that's a guy I would – he's not a guy, again, like Evan said, he's not a guy that's going to pop off on the stat sheet necessarily. He's not a guy that's going to be, you know, make a, a ton of wow plays. But if he can kind of be disruptive, throw off what the Ravens are trying to do up front, Free up a guy like Gino to get those pressures uh, because of Billings's size. Uh, you know th- that's a guy that will probably f- fly under the radar a little bit, but um, would need the Bengals need to contain that stuff to keep that game close. And if you remember last year when the Bengals went to Baltimore, it was kind of a close game for a while, but they, that defense just let those RPO plays just eat them up, eat them up, eat, eat them up, and that run game. You know, really chewed him up. So to me, that's kind of a um, that's kind of a, a key player. How do you see this one playing out, prediction wise? You got a score prediction, or uh, even thought about it?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Vegas is Vegas is like, yeah, let's just make it like eleven point spread. Like this is this is the game where since Andy Dolan was drafted, there have been sixteen games. I think I think eleven of them have been one score games. So eleven point spread is kind of wild to me, even though this is still a first place team playing a last place team, and it's also playing at the first place team's home. Um, 11 probably seems like the most it could be, and this could probably be, you know, maybe something like the like the 31-21 range for the Ravens, I would say. I think the Bengals offense could do something similar to last week, where, where they kind of get something going, maybe a little bit too late, and this is a game for Lamar Jackson to really bounce back after a couple bad weeks because this is a defense that is is extremely exploitable to a running quarterback, and if they're Explosive weapons are healthy. They can take advantage.
1: Yeah, uh, live Facebook chat. Bill Stott says we need a designated quarterback spy on Jackson. That's an interesting thought, but unfortunately, like what... what yeah, who's going to do it? Who's going to do yeah. it? <laughs> the, the, the athletes aren't there. Yeah, it's exactly... Maybe maybe it's Jermaine Pratt time. Who knows? Um, Mr. Nine Nine snaps on defense, right? Oh. Uh, Lou Bauer says 27-13 Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just... I don't see... Maybe if the Bengals were healthier, I think they'd put up a better fight, but I think that this is probably a a 10 to 14-point game, unfortunately, in favor of Baltimore, probably, you know, like a a 24-14 or, um, you know, maybe the Bengals get a little more points. Maybe it's 30 to 20, something like that. But uh, I I just don't see this playing out well for the Bengals. Maybe they'll get them the next time around when they're a little healthier and this team is more experienced, but um, not – Not this week, unfortunately. John, uh, for for a final thought, one thing I wanted to kind of ask you uh, before we get out of here. We put up a poll on the Cincy Jungle, I'm sorry, the Orange and Black Insider Twitter account, and it was really in reference to what we witnessed on Monday night with the Cleveland Browns getting absolutely dismantled by the San Francisco 49ers. So I guess the beatdown the Bengals got from San Francisco wasn't really as bad as what Cleveland experienced. Uh, although Cincinnati's was in their on their home stadium. So uh, I, I basically, uh, we sent this out here, which is worse, which is basically the Browns not living up to the big hi- offseason hype, uh, the Bengals being winless under under a new head coach and new coaching staff, or they both equally suck. <laughs> uh, not, the Browns not living up to the big hype would suck more according to 32%. Uh, being winless under a new coaching regime, 15%, being, meaning the Bengals, and both are equally sucky is 53%. I don't know if you got something,
2: uh, a take uh, on that. I, I, it's weird because I think the problems are completely different where the Browns hired the inter, interim head coach because, he, because the quarterback liked him and he just wasn't a fit to run that team. And whereas the talent besides from the offensive line really isn't the issue with the Bengals. It, it could be a good hire, but he just doesn't have the personnel to, to utilize everything that he wants to do. I think because of the hype that the Browns had and because of how wide open this division is, the fact that they're still struggling with, with all the talent, all the talent and star power that they have is probably more frustrating because they're clearly a better team than the Bengals, but they're just not living up to the hype because they're, they're, hand strung, they're hamstrung by a, a coach that doesn't really know what he's doing because he's now the official head coach. So I think those problems are kind of weirder to kind of get over because you have to decommit yourself from a guy that you invested in, and whereas the Bengals are basically entering a total rebuild, and it's just like, yeah, they suck, but we kind of already do that with the Browns. Unfortunately, it's unfortunately it's just bad teams staying bad, I guess, and it's really bad cities staying bad. Like Did, did you see the Braves' uh, playoff game today? a lot of like 10 runs like the first inning. like atlanta sports is cursed cincinnati sports is cursed and cleveland sports for the most part is still cursed so it sucks
1: buffalo buffalo's probably oh, up yeah,
2: there. buffalo's too
1: uh yeah man i remember those braves teams uh you you're probably too young to remember but like in the uh the early early 90s where they had like david justice and all those greg maddox and all these guys that were, they were such a killer team. They went to a lot of world series and they only won, I think one of them with all this talent that they had. Um, so, oh, the Braves, the Braves. Um, well, John, I, I hope that uh, they, the Bengals keep this one interesting and maybe keep it interesting for a longer period of time than yeah. what they did against Arizona, because that was not watchable football for quite some time on Sunday, at least from the Bengals perspective, but, uh, hopefully, hopefully they, they changed the, the tune there. Have a good rest of the week, John. Um, any big plans for the weekend? You, you, you do anything fun?
2: Absolutely, man. My cousin is getting married on Saturday.
1: Oh, nice. So yeah, you'll be, um, you'll be in tip top shape Sunday, Sunday oh, to, oh. to write and
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll be hundred percent ready to go.
1: Yeah. No, no. Uh, we'll have fun, man. Uh everybody else enjoy the rest of your weekend. Get this show again how how you can wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate uh your support. We appreciate Evan McPhillips coming on from Pro Football Focus. We went a little long this week, but I think it was worth it because that interview was pretty cool. So take advantage of his discounts through Pro Football Focus subscriptions there. Take care. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy week 6. We'll be back to talk about what happens after the game on Sunday.